this is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome. Uh, you're in the battleground. It's Monday, 31 October in the year of our Lord, 2022. It is, can you believe it, end of October? And we've got, uh, what, eight days until the most important midterm election since 1862. And it's hurtling towards us. I wanted to, um, so I've got Naomi and Natalie uh, to start this. There's a couple of articles up that are kind of blockbusters I want to talk to them about, particularly this one that's a tell kind of gobsmacked about it, but the one in the Atlantic. But I want to get Naomi. Naomi, we've been so going through polling and, and talking to individual candidates throughout the country. Uh, and there's been so much breaking on really uh, the vaccine, all of your research. Uh, it's, <laughs> it looks like the whole world's now waking up to this. Um, here, here's the thing. As, as as you guys have done such a great job over Daily Cloud and with the, the War Room Posse's uh, participation, um, what do we know now of other countries kind of coming your way and uh, all the research you've done about how this is such a problem to, you know, mothers with babies, to women with their menstrual cycle, all that. Where, where do we stand right now before we talk about, you know, the Atlantic magazine is saying no harm, no foul. You know, seven, eight days away from a midterm, it looks like it's not going to go Fauci's way or the biomedical industry. All of a sudden they're saying, hey, how about this? How about an, how about an amnesty for everybody? Uh, Naomi, yeah. where are we with the latest research? Where are we with latest? Where do we actually stand before we talk about these pieces? Yeah, there are some important uh, new milestones, um, and I I do agree that the work that has been done here and by other pioneers in this field, you know, is breaking through. Because I was very impressed to see that the issue of vaccines and specifically mandates and kids came up in two gubernatorial debates, uh, Michigan and New York State, my home state, um, and Kathy Hochul's kind of non-answer about whether she regrets locking down children, locking down businesses, mandating vaccines, um, clearly worked against her. So this is mainstreaming. And since we last spoke, Steve, there have been several Scandinavian Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, want to make, I, want to, I want to make I want to make a very specific point. That to me, that to me of the entire okay. Michigan debate, was was the absolute critical inflection point of that entire debate. And that's where I think if Tudor Dixon ends up winning this, I think you can go back to that debate and that kind of flippant answer from um, from uh, Governor uh, Whitmer. Also, the same thing with Lee Zeldin. I think he's seen Lee Zeldin's momentum pick up. And I, this is, you know, Steve Cortez calls it, the, we used to call it immigration or inflation and immigration. We added a third eye, given your work and everything that's been happening with them when the CDC came to the, the third eye was the injection. And we think that that is the sleeper topic throughout the country, particularly these suburban moms, many of whom, if the mention of Donald Trump's name, they spit on the floor. So right. uh, and I think in those two debates and those two, if those two governor's races are one, right. I, even in New York about crime, I think the sleeper issue there is going to be Hochul's. And here's the amazing thing. Both Hochul and Whitmer 
were kind of dismissive in their answers. I don't know if they didn't want to get into it to make it a bigger deal, but they're, didn't you think they were just dismissive in, in the way they even – it was almost like they couldn't be bothered with a real answer. Naomi Wolf. Yeah, absolutely, which, which registered as so out of touch – um, with voters' concerns uh, in in those auditoriums and, and in the living rooms where people were watching. And what really registered was Lee Zeldin kind of the fire and rage in his eyes when he tried to drag this issue into the forefront in terms of the pain that it had caused. Um, I think I'm, I'm really hearing that in, in a very grassroots way, um, in very surprising places. Massachusetts, for instance, super blue state. We went to a pancake house over the weekend and the, uh, the, the waitress watches War Room and she's like, we are sick of it. We are sick of it up here. We are sick of these mandates. And she said that these, these formerly democratic clients of hers who are eating pancakes, you know, blue haired ladies, deep, deep, blue state um, are like, this is it. We're sick of it. No more mandates, no more forced injections. We, you know, we need an alternative to the Democrats, wow. even though we wow. never thought we'd be saying that. And when the pancake checkout lady says, we are sick of it, my clients are sick of it in deep blue Massachusetts, you know, it's a mainstream issue. Um, but, but even beyond that, um, many uh, Scandinavian countries have dropped their injections for people under 50 um, quietly. And other big news headlines, uh, the European Medical Agency and individual countries like uh, the Netherlands have been adding menstrual disruption, menstrual dysregulation to the named side effects of the injection. And all of these are kind of reality principles of um, people recognizing the harm and the damage that, that the vaccines have done to human health and especially to the health and well-being of young adults. Um, I think the fertility issue has definitely broken through um, and the health and well-being of, of children and, and the children's well-being was so foregrounded in the debates. So yes, this is a live issue. Um, you know, the other thing that really, really has broken through, and this is, you know, my Deborah Wolf metric when my mom, uh, you know, super, super Democrat NPR listening <laughs> lady uh, of a certain age, when, when she knows it, then it means it's really happening. Um, and that is the uh, horrific <laughs> presentation by the uh, marketing rep for Pfizer. I think we may have mentioned this, but it's really had legs. Um, this is a couple of weeks ago, telling a Dutch uh, member of the European Parliament that no, of course, they had never checked oh, the yes. transmission. And, and that, that, you know, is the gift that keeps on giving in terms of um, waking people up to the resonance of this issue of people being made awake to the resonance. So of this you're issue. saying your mom, your mom's a good test case. You're saying your mom, I, who's an NPR, you know, a, a very classic liberal Democrat, she's actually picked up that interview from the European uh, Parliament that shows you that this information is, is getting around. I mean, I'll get to a second. DHS calls that misinformation, and they've looks like they've got a much th more thorough plan. You know, Naomi, you warned us about this, but it looks like they got a much more thorough plan uh, than we thought about uh, disinformation. But you're saying even your mom had seen that that uh, part of uh, I think it was a uh, a hearing where they actually right. admitted the three legs of the stool. They hadn't even. And it was like, oh no, we never tested for that. That's kind of a, a reveal. In uh, what was it, September? of uh, 2022, something we were told back in the summer of 2020, in the fall of 2020, oh yeah, this is the big thing, and be lectured by Rachel Maddow and other people every night that we were selfish and people were selfish if they didn't get this because you're going to transmit it to other people, ma'am. Right. 
and and Steve, I just think that that's so resonating because people are looking back over the last two years and thinking of all the Thanksgivings they missed, all the loved ones who died alone, all the children and their learning loss, and all of it was predicated on this notion of transmission. You know, all the all the young adults whose uh, whose 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 careers were cut short because they had to quit their jobs if they didn't want to get this injection, or who got sick if they got it, and and they did it for others, right? And that was the pitch, do it for others, do it for grandma, do it for your community, do it for your families. Um, and and I think that there's this slow burn uh, that is really, you know, really mainstreaming right now. I don't want to get ahead of myself because, you know, as I always warn, you know, we're still in a very, very volatile moment. But what has been a marginal, uh, you know, ostracized conversation, you know, is definitely in Deborah Wolf's Facebook feed from the other, you know, nice Jewish ladies watching NPR and, and uh, listening to NPR and watching PBS. So um, it's, it, it, people are very, 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 very angry. And it is, it is up there with, with inflation. It's up there with the economy because these are linked, right? The, the, the two years of businesses going broke and um, people not able to work or, or people working at risk or people leaving their jobs or being fired because of these mandates, um, you know, is, is linked to the suffering they're feeling now or running out of credit or living hand to mouth, you know, lives ruined, mortgages, uh, you know, in arrears. It, it, it's all linked and people are putting the pieces together and, and seeing the mess. And, you know, this this article uh, in The Intercept about DHS having coordinated, uh, you know, new documentation out of these um, lawsuits uh, out of Missouri, Louisiana, uh, showing that DHS coordinated in an even more massive way than we had ever known, you know, even as bits of this keep being revealed, revealed, with Microsoft, with LinkedIn, with Twitter, with Facebook um, to censor d discussion pr prior even to the election. See, I, I wanted, I, hang on one second. I just, I just want everybody to know, particularly the audience that may not, Intercept is not Gateway Pundit. It's not Breitbart, right? Very sophisticated, but these guys are center left or, or left wing guys. This article was absolutely stunning. And for everything you've warned the audience about for the last two years, over two years, when you read it, you're saying, hey, not only was Naomi Wolf right, Naomi actually might have under, <laughs> under, you know, not been as Cassandra as you should have been because this thing was so scary. It's so systemic. It's so it's like an it's like a uh, they have an organizing principle of how to do this. Naomi Wolf. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, each time. I think of how many times I was called a conspiracy theorist and actually deplatformed by Facebook and Twitter for being, you know, for misinformation. And it turns out my wildest uh, forebodings could not have been conspiratorial enough to imagine something the size of this massive conspiracy revealed by a lawsuit, you know, out of two attorneys general uh, demanding this documentation that the Department of Homeland Security and all of these giant companies and LinkedIn, like companies where we live out our professional lives, where we live out our social lives, um, where we, you know, solicit trusted information, talk to our friends, see baby pictures. They were all colluding to uh, shut down, censor and silence or smear or send bots after and trolls after, you know, people like me, people like President Trump. Uh, we won't even see the list yet of, of people who were targeted, but it turns out that the, the 
that, you know, overwhelmingly, I'm sure when all the dust settles, the people who were targeted were, well, A, representing the deplorables, but even apart from that, um, you know, people like me, people like Alex Berenson, people like Dr. McCullough, Dr. Alexander, who were simply telling a truth that um, was counter to the truths that, you know, who was initiating at DHS, with Twitter and Facebook going along with it, it, you know, it's unclear who's initiating it, right? But the truth that they wanted to hold. And and by the way, I just want to throw but, in one more layer yeah, of, of evidence. Yeah, May I? Yeah. Well, when you yeah, ask sure, what ahead. else is what else is uh, what else is are the headlines related to the the, the vaccines? Um, I do want people to know that I interviewed Igor, Igor Chudov, who's a very respected substacker and a mathematician. It's amazing. Yes. He's yes. been doing a deep dive into the uh, government databases for birth rates, um, as you know we've discussed before. And he brought forward, I, I've been following him closely because about three months ago, he said, okay, there's this terrible drop of about 20% in multiple countries. Let's hope it's a blip. Let's hope it's temporary. And he's very careful checking, and it's now three months later, and he's confirming that it's not temporary, that in fact, there are um, 23,000 missing babies in one quarter, uh, three months in Germany alone, meaning almost 100,000 missing babies this year, um, you know, projecting ahead to the end of 2022. And then this is just one country. Uh, and then you, you look at the whole European Union and it's close to a million missing babies. In other words, a drop in birth rates so systemic that uh, that we're, we're missing a million new babies, almost a million in all of the European Union. And really important thing mm. I want to tell you, you know, when you're asking, well, how, you know, how uh, hard are those numbers is that he actually had a control which is certain provinces in Hungary for various reasons didn't get vaccinated. They were very low vaccination uptake provinces. And so they had virtually normal birth rates. So there is a control now for the missing babies of Europe. No, this is a blockbuster that we're going to spend a lot more time going into. Um, I want to bring in Natalie here for a second, because Natalie, you and I are very similar in what we uh, in our nose for news, what we think is signal and not noise. You, you we tra we cross when we send the intercept story because <laughs> it's such a, bl a a blockbuster. To Naomi's point, here's the thing, Naomi and, and Natalie. You answer this is not people should understand this intercept story and what you're finding out. I think for the Missouri and the Louisiana Attorney General's lawsuit, this is not people with no credentials coming up on Facebook or yelling stuff or what people would think are some of these conspiracy theory groups or some of these, you know, what, what the mainstream credentialized society thinks are marginal people, marginal education, marginal knowledge. This is going to turn out to be some of the most qualified credentialized people in our nation. And that's who DHS has designated domestic information terrorists. Naomi, I don't think I'm over. I mean, the scary thing about this is how it is their organizing principle. This is what they do. And it's not for marginally, you know, people are not super professionals. This is actually going after people that are incredibly professional, incredibly credentialized that come up with a different theory of the case based on the evidence that they have in front of them. Natalie, give us your assessment of this. 
Uh, you're totally correct. I mean, the Department of Homeland Security is quite literally reassigning people who are supposed to be monitoring Al-Qaeda and ISIS to now monitor and go after social media posts made by Americans. That's one of the several buried leads in that whole entire Intercept report. Um, but I, I think to your point, um, I think another buried lead and something that's really important about this Intercept story is that it's not just that they were focusing on election content, though that's, of course, I think on the top of everyone's mind right now, given the fact that we're going into a midterm. But if you read a lot of these DHS memos about what they were focusing on, they were focusing on, quote, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine. I mean, I think it's fair to say that the DHS is effectively acting as sort of a government-funded PR agent and PR arm, not just for the Biden regime, but really the establishment writ large. Um, it's not just that they're focusing on election misinformation. They are strategically and very calculatedly using the DHS to go after really any mainstream issue to enforce a certain narrative. And I think something really important here, I, I uh, reported it out on the War Room site, um, but in all of these meetings that were held between very high-level FBI agents, very high-level Twitter people, very high-level people from the federal government, there were also always representatives from J.P. Morgan Chase, obviously one of the largest financial institutions in the entire country, if not the world. And I think that that sort of lends credence to something that Naomi has certainly been ahead of the curve in talking about social credit scores and debanking and how all of this is sort of linked to a broader effort um, to really use alternative methods, not just deleting your account um, or censoring or limiting your ability to share stories, but really restricting your ability to actually live. So I think it's interesting that you see this collusion going on um, with financial institutions too. And I think people are right to be questioning if this is sort of the beginning of the process to normalize debanking as a more mainstream weapon uh, to be in the tool belt of the establishment to wield against, as they would call us, you know, agents of, of disinformation and misinformation. Now, I mean, let me bring you back in for a second. I think Natalie cut to the chase. I mean, the ACLU, the New York Times, the, 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 the what we call the liberal media, this used to be their stock and trade to defend against this. This is what their nightmare was. For decades and decades and decades when they were the leading reporters of breaking stories about this. And now you see that they perpetuate what DHS, I mean, this thing in DHS, this may be one, this lawsuit, I'm telling you, is going to be historic because it is getting down to the thing. And it's not like they, you see that they come together for the first time to work together. This is the way the system rolls. Naomi Wolf. Yeah. Well, let me um, first say that I will. I will speak to that, but first I have to note that I'm somewhat starstruck because I, I think that Natalie Winters is the best, like one of the two or three best journalists in America and um, certainly the best. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> Thank you so much. So I just wanted to- Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, and hold it, hold it. And I and I want to take, I'm going to take a short bow is that we gave a platform for Naomi Wolf to really become in this moment in time in American history, really a leading voice to lead us through here about what the facts were. And we selected uh, Natalie as soon as she graduated from the University of Chicago at the age of 21 to be our executive editor. So we, 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 we know how to pick, uh, we know how to pick great, uh, great uh, jockeys and horse races here. So you two guys, and by the way, that's what's so incredible about this, uh, this piece about DHS. 
They're literally coming to shut you down, Naomi Wolf. It's quite obvious that this is the thing of our government. And, and, and Natalie said it, you know, a nice Jewish girl from New York, you really have the Al-Qaeda team is now focused on you and to shut you down. Right. I mean, you're a lot braver than I am, Steve. I always kind of uh, quail when you point that out, but it's it's absolutely true. Like each time I think I've seen the limit of this story, I, I think, okay, well, that's super scary, but I can deal with it. But now that I, I know the DHS, you know, wants to make me a domestic terrorist and, and PayPal is now floating this trial balloon, which I think they've reinstated of $2,500 fine and you get deplatformed if they don't like what you're saying, you know, literally all the exits are being closed off to peaceful critics of, you know, this ugly mess that Natalie just described of, you know, the oligarchical financial interests and the uh, big tech uh, platforms of the oligarchy and the government uh, national security platform defending the oligarchy. It's all turning into one gigantic morass that is essentially sitting on the heads of American citizens and uh, stealthily taking away uh, our First Amendment rights our, and then our rights to um, make a living and then our rights to move around and, you know, very quickly is going to turn into, which I know Natalie was probably about to say, a social credit system, um, exactly like China, which can keep all of us in our homes uh, indefinitely or switch off our access to our uh, our money, our, our transportation, our schools, society, you know, in the blink of an eye. Um, so this is unbelievably terrifying. And, and yes, for individuals, you know, like not just me, but all the millions of people who are watching this thinking, oh, my God, I spoke up at my PTA conference. I, I you know, spoke up or on Facebook when I didn't like um, what this administration was doing or this local board of health official was doing. Are they going to come for me? These are the questions we need to ask right now, because this is, um, you know, like the end of the Wizard of Oz when they pull back the curtain and there's not just a little person there, but a dis disgusting monster with eight hydra-like heads um, basically poised to crush what's left of, of democracy. It's, it's absolutely terrifying. Here's I want to go uh, pivot now to the, by the way, we're going to spend a lot more time on this intercept piece in this lawsuit because it is getting uh, very scary. Uh, Natalie, I want to go to the uh, to the Atlantic. Atlantic is like um, the New Yorker. It's kind of the railhead of the intelligentsia of the of the traditionally the liberal left, but it's gotten more and more, I think, crazy. They have now run a trial balloon eight days before the election. And the Atlantic has gone out of its way. I think from a, uh, a, a for a magazine of the intelligentsia, it has been at the vanguard of the defense of all things Fauci and all things related to CDC, FDA. Every decision was made. And they now have a uh, now they now have a piece out about maybe we should have an amnesty, you know, a week away from an election that looks like it's breaking Bloomberg. Everybody's talking about this is breaking huge, particularly in the House where these investigations will take place. And they're already on the record. Jordan McCarthy, everybody's on the record as saying, regardless of what Rand Paul does in the Senate and Ron Johnson does in the Senate, there's going to be a deep dive into CDC. There's going to be a deep dive in FDA. There's going to be a deep dive into Tony Fauci, Dr. Collins, all of it, the vaccines, the whole thing. That they want an amnesty. How, how do you how do you read that, ma'am? Well, one of the top sponsors for the Atlantic's very recent uh, annual kind of ideas fest that they have 
was Pfizer. So when I first read this, I thought maybe this was a paid insert by Pfizer. Uh, but I don't think it's it's the case. I think it sort of represents the establishment coming to terms with the fact that there are going to be investigations held um, by Republicans when we take back the House and the Senate. Um, but I think what's particularly interesting here and what really struck out to me, people know I don't really like to do opinion commentary, but sometimes it's so egregious. I, I can't hold my tongue. And I think this is a perfect example. There's an italicized portion of the article, which to me, I think is sort of the focal point where the author really encapsulates what she's trying to get across with the piece. And she says, uh, we didn't know. And she's talking about the efficacy of masks, particularly with children. And I think that just stands at such odds with the slogan of trust the experts and trust the science that have been beaten down our throats for years, right? Um, and I think it's just a really, really telling example of how these so-called experts were never really experts from the beginning. And again, you know, the, the author can can say that, oh, you know, we need to just have a big group hug after the pandemic ends, which it's unclear if the pandemic's over because you have Fauci calling to reinstate mask mandates uh, just a few days ago. Um, but these are this very same people who championed uh, the crusade of trying to silence people who wanted to have actual meaningful discussions about what the best policies were um, to prevent the spread of COVID-19, dismissing people who wanted to question the efficacy of masks and vaccines as conspiracy theorists. So I don't think you get to you know, play both sides of the issue. Um, and really just portray anyone who actually wanted to get to the, the bottom of COVID-19, specifically its origins or the best way to, to remedy and to combat it um, as conspiracy theorists. And then now all of a sudden, uh, we need to all come together. So it, I mean, it's information warfare and psychological warfare at its finest um, in the Atlantic. That seems to be the, the only thing they know how to do that and, and take corporate money from Pfizer. Uh, by the way, I want uh, Naomi, if you can, and Natalie to stay through the break. But uh, Naomi, there's I think there's a misperception in, in, in a lot of what we're talking about doing. I think she comes at this that we're looking for retribution or revenge. It's not about that. We we have to go back and drill down on that to even go forward. We have to go through and look at the science and look at the data and look at the decisions. Why were decisions made? And if people in hell accountable, well, this is not about retribution. Give me 30 seconds on that, Naomi, before we go to break. Your thoughts on retribution or revenge? Well, I don't think it's not about retribution. Um, it's not about revenge, but, but justice involves accountability. And there's a reason there were Nuremberg trials. There's a reason that Nazis were held accountable. And there wasn't a group hug when they liberated Auschwitz and sent everybody home. And again, as a Jewish person, this was very important. I don't think we could have ever trusted uh, civil society again if there hadn't been accountability. I wrote a piece about forgiveness in which I said, it's one thing to forgive um, the individuals, but the institutions, we must never forget. Um, and that's what accountability is in a civil society that has justice. Okay, Naomi Wolf, Natalie Winters are going to stick around. We're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back in the battleground in just a moment. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data 
while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOMHEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back in the battleground. Um, we've got a lot of wood to chop here. I don't want to hold Naomi and Natalie too long, although we got so much to go through with them. Uh, Naomi, real quickly, last topic. Um, the um, I don't think I've seen anything that I would consider into the law of unintended consequences as much as the 15 to nothing vote of the CDC. When I go throughout the country, we've been doing a lot of traveling and talking to people, obviously, in the run-up to the midterms and you know having extra shows and getter. That 15 to nothing vote, no abstentions, really no debate about it. It's a, it's stunning to me how much it's resonated throughout the country. And like I yes. said, I think the injections are the third eye in this campaign. Give us your, give us a couple minutes of your thoughts on that, because it, it, I don't know if they plan to do it beforehand or if they hadn't thought about it. Or they're so arrogant or they just think it's outside the political process. It's clearly political. And I think it's one of the it's the number one subterranean topic out there. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I'm glad that many people are aware of it. Um, you know, 
to Natalie's point that this is a psyop and, and informational warfare, she's a thousand percent correct. Emily Oster, who wrote that article asking for forgiveness, um, it has had a, a, a has been calling for vaccination of kids and babies. And she's not a doctor; she's an economist, and she recommended a uh, a blog that is actually funded by Pfizer. So she has a lot to apologize for, and. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to note is that legally, if people say, I didn't know, that is a legal defense against um, the kinds of crimes that she committed by telling people to inject their children and their babies with this dangerous and deadly substance. Um, so about the 15 uh, votes to inject children, uh, I'm glad it's resonating. And I think that any parent or grandparent is who's aware of that is going to think, um, that's not how medicine works. That's not how science works. They don't know my grandchild. Um, it, it's it's just one of those unhideable pieces of evidence that something is very, very wrong, very, very fishy. And I think kind of up until that point and a few other key points, um, the, the narrative was able to cohere, you know, through this kind of massive coordinated effort at the highest levels to suppress and massage information. But certain things are like the rock that the Titanic founders on. Um, and, you know, these 15 people saying, uh, yeah, we have no idea what it's going to do to kids until we inject it into their tiny bodies, but let's just go ahead. Um, it, it, there's no way the sensible, average, uh, thoughtful, compassionate American person um, is going to think that that makes sense of any kind. And, you know, we've reached this point many times in our conversations, but yeah, this is not normal politics. I think that what you have here is a group of people who are um, happy to plunder the American treasury, the American people, um, all they want. You know, Pfizer's interests are not the same as the American people's interests as we've established. Um, and, and now it looks like DHS's interests are not the same as the American people's interests, which is incredibly terrifying. Um, but you you no longer have, it's like that top uh, echelon of, of governance and chase and big tech has kind of broken free of its even gestural responsibility to the American people. It is just enriching itself and really doesn't care if you vote for Democrats ever again, because, you know, they'll just try to buy off the Republicans. And um, that's why it takes the kind of revolution, peaceful revolution that you're running, you know, that other people at a grassroots level are running to stop this um, because it's only that oversight from the very grassroots level that is going to drag our country back into the hands of citizens again. By the way, the grassroots level, about, uh, number one, the book, The Body of Others, is now more relevant than ever. It's really amazing. The book gets more relevant as we go on in time. I strongly recommend it. You see not just the arc of the story of Naomi Wolf, but you see really at least the arc so far of this story, which, as Naomi says, is going to be the biggest scandal in the history of the country. Naomi, uh, everybody I talk to when I go to all the conferences, everything, they come up to me. They're, they're so um, empowered by being part of the war room posse that signed up to work with Amy Kelly and your great group over at Daily Clout. How do people continue to do that? Thank you. Well, please keep supporting us and um, I'll certainly sign your books when they, uh, <laughs> when they've named me a domestic terrorist and I'm talking to you from, from some holding cell, but um, you can get the book at allseasonspress.com. You can 
get it uh, at Amazon and your local bookstore. Um, please keep supporting us at dailycloud.io. Amy Kelly and the amazing volunteers are continue to break story after story. Um, and you can find me on Substack uh, and on Getter at Naomi R. Wolf. Thank you. Naomi Wolf, thank you. Honored to have you on here. Thank you very much. Honored to be here. Natalie, I Natalie, I didn't want to leave without your new your Echo Health Alliance uh, angle on uh, on uh, on particularly the the uh, the uh, Atlantic story that we should just all kind of walk away. Everything's going to be fine. What are your thoughts? Yes. What is an episode of War Room without me dunking on Peter Doshak and Eco Health Alliance? But as the establishment <laughs> is, you know, calling for amnesty, Peter Doshak seems to still trying to be cash in, cashing in off of the whole pandemic prevention grift, except this time it's a little more serious. EcoHealth Alliance, as first reported on warroom.org, just received a new six-figure grant, not from the National Institutes of Health, not from Anthony Fauci, but from, believe it or not, the Department of Defense, uh, specifically their De Defense Threat Reduction Agency, uh, to combat weapons of mass destruction. And that's a direct quote if you look on the government database for what exactly this grant is itemized for. There's not much further explanation into what exactly EcoHealth Alliance, the same group that was accused of conducting gain-of-function research alongside the Wuhan Institute of Virology on coronaviruses that are strikingly similar to COVID-19, will be doing with these taxpayer funds. Um, but it certainly won't be good. Um, and I think it's certainly interesting that this comes amidst the news cycle uh, with nuclear war increasing in Russia. And again, just like Zelensky seems to be but, cashing but, but, in. But, but, but uh, Natalie, sure. here's the thing. You, you, have, you have the editors and you have the publishers and you have the intelligentsia over at uh, the intellectuals over at um, the, uh, the Atlantic that are clearly nervous because now they're saying, hey, no harm, no foul. Let's just have a group hug. But. In this regard, in this situation, it's like they don't care. They're so up in your grill. I mean, have they not read any of the reporting you've done for the last two years? I mean, if you had to, I first, when you sent it to me, I thought you were making, I thought you were making a joke on Halloween that I said, no, this can't possibly be true. And particularly for weapons of mass destruction, when they're the guys in back of the, the, uh, you know, with government funding, American taxpayer money somehow directly involved at a very high level and serious level with the Wuhan lab on the CCP COVID-19 virus. It's it's like, it's almost a parody, right? It's like a joke. Are they that arrogant, that unfeeling, or they just think that they're impervious to any accountability, ma'am? Yeah, it's it's humor, but it's, it's dark humor. You know, EcoHealth Alliance, particularly Peter Doshak, just a few months ago actually wrote a letter lobbying the Biden regime to spend nearly a trillion dollars on pandemic prevention efforts. Seriously, a trillion dollars. Um, so no, there, there is no sense of remorse. Um, Peter Doshak still holds firm to the fact that COVID-19 uh, developed naturally. And it's because of people like the Atlantic mouthpiece, uh, Emily, knowing that they will have people to defend them for amnesty, um, that there will be no accountability. Um, you know, Peter Doshak has been asked to testify in front of Congress several times, and I've never seen him testify in front of Congress. He's basically refused to answer any of the letters demanding documents into the taxpayer-funded research that was going on in Wuhan. Um, but obviously, Peter Doshak has met a very different fate than most people uh, who refuse to appear in front of Congress because he's Peter Doshak. He's received tens of millions of dollars um, from taxpayer funds from various federal agencies. 
Um, and he's sort of a golden boy of the scientific community, which makes absolutely no sense um, because none of the research he's ever done has contributed to, frankly, anything remotely uh, worthy of the term pandemic prevention. In fact, in the last, I mean, several hundred years, uh, the only pandemic that can likely be traced to actual in-person lab experiments was probably caused by Peter Doshak. So he's hardly the pandemic prevention poster child that he purports to be. But as he knows all too well, the mainstream media nine times out of 10 will come and defend him. Um, so it's up to, you know, independent journalists to expose him. Um, you know, he has a whole entire DHS task force that's been weaponized to basically run cover for him. Um, and the same certainly can't be said for anyone who's been on the other side um, claiming that the origins of COVID-19 um, can be traced to the Chinese Communist Party. And just one last thing on that whole Atlantic piece. I think the biggest winner of that article um, isn't even necessarily Anthony Fauci. I think it's the Chinese Communist Party, because if you want to talk about true accountability, uh, that's where the investigation should be. And that's where they will be uh, when Republicans win back the House. There will be. Uh, Natalie, how do people uh, follow your great reporting, ma'am? Uh, you can go to Natalie G. Winters on Twitter and Getter and on Facebook and Instagram. Natalie, thank you. Fantastic work as usual. Thank you very much. Our executive editor and co-host, Natalie Winters. Thank you, ma'am. Talk about winning back the House. Uh, it's going to be key to some of, some of these key races. I want to bring in John Gibbs. John, you were the lead story, I'm glad to say. Uh, we hope it's because of all your appearances on War Room, but Politico took a umbrage that, uh, you know, this massive red waves, depending on, on the background of uh, of guys like John Gibbs, and they singled you out specifically. By the way, I think your background is high-tech executive. You go to the best schools in the country, Stanford. You got the highest degrees, great grades. You, you work at Microsoft. You give it up to go uh, preach the word of the living Christ in Japan. You learn Japanese. You dedicate your life to selfless service. What in the background was so bad? I, I told uh, people as soon as I saw that, I said, this guy, I admire this guy probably more than anybody in the country right now. And they're making it like your background is a hindrance. John Gibbs. Yeah, Steve, thanks for having me on as always. You know, it's just it's comical to see what they're doing. Uh, really, it is a sign of fear. They are afraid uh, that people will find out my real actual background, which is what you described. Um, you know, I don't go around bragging about where I worked and where I went to school, but since uh, they're starting it, I might as well finish it. So um, I did go to Stanford. I do have my degree in computer science. I am fluent in Japanese. I did serve as a Christian missionary in Japan for seven years. I got my master's from Harvard in public administration, worked under Dr. Carson at HUD for four years, including as acting assistant secretary, where I had 700 employees under me and an $8 billion budget. Um, I think a rational person, even an independent who looks at that would say, yeah, this guy is super qualified. They know that, and so they're trying to pick something uh, that they take out of context um, and try to claim it's a quote-unquote conspiracy theory or what what have you, um, and attack me that way. And that's all they have. They can't talk about the issues. They can't talk about inflation. They can't talk about their plans for economic growth. They can't talk about anything that people actually care about and that people actually talk about at the dinner table. So the only thing they have left to do is attack your character. They did the same thing that Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh passed the absolute highest level FBI background check, cleaner than a bar of soap. So they tried to make something up about him and literally had a Hollywood actress sitting behind this accuser uh, to uh, coach her on how to tell lies in front of these committees. So this is how they operate. And it's, it's despicable. But the good news is people are seeing through it. I ordered takeout the other day. A young black man comes up, gave me my food, turns around and comes back to my door and knocks again. And he goes, 
all those attacks against you can't be true, can they? I said, no, they're not true. Let me tell you why. And he said, thanks for telling me that. I knew they couldn't be true. And I said, thank you for taking the time to think about it and ask a question. Do you think that it is um, that part of this is because you're African-American and you've decided to say, hey, I'm MAGA, I'm a conservative, um, and, and I believe what I believe because it's grounded into my character. You're, the spot you have with your mother is one of the most powerful I've seen in this entire cycle. Um, is it, Do you think they've singled you out? I mean, when I read that today, I go, of all the people you could write this piece about, how could you possibly, that's why I call people, I said, I got to get Gibbs on today. I said, how could you possibly pick Gibbs of all of them? He's got one of the most impressive backgrounds and the work he's done at every level, whether it's at Microsoft, whether it's being a Christian missionary in Japan, whether it's working for Dr. Carson at HUD, uh, it's, it's incredibly impressive. Do you think part of this is, is, is racial? That is certainly part of it, because the Democrats' worst nightmare is that black people start to think um, and look at the situation and say, maybe we can try something new. Maybe we've had one party for so long. Maybe we can be flexible and, and look at something new. They're already losing their grip on the black vote, if you look at the numbers right now. Um, and they are afraid of that, especially in close districts. If they lose their grip on the black vote and people start to look at things and say, maybe it's time to try something new, that is a huge threat to them. And so I think they need to pile on someone like me from their point of view in order to prevent that from happening. Also, they're losing. You know, attacking me like this and having a hit piece on me like this uh, is not something you do if you're winning. And so I believe they've seen the numbers that we've seen, which shows that I am winning. And they're like, okay, we've got to pile on this guy more and try to prevent him from uh, going anywhere. So someone like me is a threat to them uh, because of what I represent and the potential beginning of a new movement away from the Democrat Party, a unifying movement that brings people together from all different backgrounds. That's what we're seeing right now. There are currently two black Republicans in Congress. If John James and myself, both from Michigan, win, we will double that. You have Wesley Hunt in Texas. You have George Logan in Connecticut. You have Jennifer Ruth Green in Indiana. Uh, they're all Republicans who have a real, real shot at winning uh, next week. This is a Democrat's absolute worst nightmare to go from two black Republicans in the U.S. House to a total of eight black Republicans in the U.S. House, which we're on the verge of doing next Tuesday. If I were them, I'd be in panic mode. And that's what they're doing. They're panic. They're telling absolute, complete, total lies on the TV airwaves. Look at what they did to Jennifer Ruth Green, pulling up her military records illegally to try to blame her for being a victim of assault. It's totally despicable what they're doing. But uh, thankfully, people see through it. It's a fake news media. When I'm out on the trail, I tell people, there's a sucker born every minute. Don't be that person. Don't believe the stupid lies on TV. John, your, your, your campaign has an incredible momentum. Uh, the audience wants to be part of it. Where do they go, sir? Yeah, sure. People can go to votejohngibbs.com. That's votejohngibbs.com. I'm up against a Hollywood, New York City, California funded big liberal. Uh, so we need every dollar we can get, whether you can do 10, 15, 20, 25 or more than that. Every dollar makes a difference. We're pounding it hard. We're going to be up on TV more this week. We're going to do a lot of outreach this week to those voters on the fence and show them they can't vote for crazy. They got to vote for normal, which is me. So votejohngibbs.com. You can also sign up for our prayer list. And if you're local, you can sign up to knock doors and phone bank. So votejohngibbs.com. John, you're a hero and a patriot, and uh, everybody's got your back. Let's just run through the tape, sir. Thanks, Steve. You are the one who is a hero, and thank you for everything you do. Really appreciate it. No, you're the man. Thank you, John. Can't believe the attacks these guys have is completely unsat. Okay, it's All Souls Day, and I would feel remiss if we didn't end with a book that I've really I've gotten from the Sophia Press people. It's absolutely from Sophia Institute Press. Um, 
The War Against Evil, The Exorcism Files, True Stories of Demonic Possession by Adam Bly. Adam, this book you cannot put down. Tell me about it. Walk me through uh, what motivates you to write it and why people should buy this. Hi, Steve. It's nice to meet you. Um, the book is intended to be a cautionary set of tales. Um, we don't teach people the things to avoid and the dangers of the occult like we used to. And I find that when I try to tell people, don't do this, don't do that, we don't like that. It's not in our nature. And so if I share a story, let me tell you a story about somebody and the trouble they got into and what they did and the trouble that that led to. I think that's more powerful. And then I try to then wrap up with a little bit of commentary after a set of stories on different themes. Uh, but that's the intent of the book is to not be sensational, but to convey enough so that people hopefully take these things seriously. Now, I want people to get this book and read it because talk about how you got your knowledge is so deep, but it's not you just didn't get it from from reading books or from researching. Talk to us about your knowledge about uh, demonic possession. Well, Steve, I've been involved in this for about 15 years now, and I help train priests in exorcism and, and to some extent deliverance uh, nationally and a little bit internationally now. I've uh, been at over well north of a thousand solemn exorcisms of people. It's something I'm very familiar with, uh, it's something we do every week, and it's very important in my life. It, it it sounds maybe a little corny, but I really think God has called me to this. And when I saw the reality of the suffering and the reality of the spiritual, um, that's why I had to give my life to it, because there's relatively few people in the modern world dealing with this. And it's not just mental illness. It's not just epilepsy that's misunderstood. Schizophrenia doesn't make you suddenly fluent in ancient languages. Bipolar disorder doesn't make you suddenly know people's secret sins. Um, you know, these things just are not, uh, they're not easily dismissed. I think I want to have you back. I, I tell you what to do. If we can work it out, I want to have you on All Saints Day too. This book is quite powerful. And it, 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 the scary part of it, I think for particularly people that don't follow this closely, is that it's not mental illness. It's, not, it, it's actually the devil in the modern world. Uh, and it's uh, incredibly, incredibly, you can't put it down, quite frankly. Um, Adam, thank Where do people go right now to get the book? I want as many people get this as possible. Where, where do they go to get this and what's your social media? So they can go to Sophia Institute press, which is the publisher. Uh, there's a link to it on my website, which is religious And I don't do any social media, Steve too busy. Okay. Too busy. Uh, a man who trains the people that actually do the exorcisms. Adam Bly. Adam, thank you very much uh, for joining us. The book is very powerful. Look forward to having you back, sir. Thank you, Steve. God bless you. Thank you. Boy, uh, i tell you one thing. You will understand what the stakes of the game are when you read this book. Okay, uh, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. It is going to be lit, and uh, we are going to be at the ramparts. Tomorrow will be the seven-day uh, trigger point seven days to the most important midterm since 1862. Everybody's engaged. Everybody's focused. Everybody has a sense of urgency. We'll see you back here in the war room tomorrow morning at 10 a.m.